Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for December 11, 2017. Got a short six-game NBA slate and a couple of uninteresting games. Slate that I'm not going to be able to play because I have a plane flight tomorrow night, so I'll probably be in the air as lineups are locking. Uh, so this will be who I would think about playing if I was playing, but will probably get changed anyway because there's probably going to be more injury news to come out by the time tomorrow. First game on the slate for Matt and I to talk about is the Miami Heat at the Memphis Grizzlies, and right off the bat, a game that I think is very uninteresting. Nobody who I really see as strong value plays, and I just think there's better games to target. Do you have a different take than that, Matt? I think Jermichael Green is worth targeting at 4500 He's just kind of been underpriced, and he plays a lot of minutes now. I think he, his minutes have sort of gone up just since Mike Conley got hurt, and the Grizzlies have had to use their guards and their forwards more of a small ball lineup, so it's been, it's meant more minutes for Green. But that might be a little bit of a stretch anyway, so that's more if the injuries that we're expecting all end up resulting in active players and we do need to reach for value, then Green could be a reasonably... I don't know. He's a usable, cheap guy, I think, but I don't really like anyone else from this game. No, I think that's fair. And then we were talking a little bit about Jermichael Green before. So Green's minutes are, they basically let him play unlimited minutes now. Not that they're playing him 48 minutes, but when he first came back from injury, he was playing like high teens, low 20s minutes. And now his minutes have gotten up to the over 30 minute range, but the production hasn't been there because of unsustainably low shooting. So, let's see, Green is shooting 30% from the field over the last week, 37% over the last two weeks, but he was a really good shooter last year, 50% from the field, 80% from the free throw line, made about a three-pointer per game. So, that's going to regress back to the mean. I don't think the matchup is great, but I agree with you that if there is no other injury news, then he is a viable option at 4,500 on DraftKings because it's pretty cheap for somebody who's playing 30-plus minutes. Uh, but I'm going to assume that there's going to be better value available by the time the games kick off tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's a, There are a lot of questionable tags, and then I guess we'll get into a lot of those in the next few games because this is really the only one, this Heat-Grizzlies game, that there isn't really much injury news to look at. All right, so next game is the Pelicans at the Rockets. So Anthony Davis is not on the injury report, but... The groin was bothering him a little bit down the stretch of this game, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up on the injury report tomorrow morning. So uh, I'm going to check Twitter real quick. Have you seen anything about him other than just him looking uncomfortable towards the end of the game? No, I haven't, but let me just recap what happened in Sunday night's game. So the Pelicans were in a pretty close game with the Sixers. They had a slight lead with about eight or nine minutes left, and right around the time that Davis seemed to re-aggravate that groin injury. DeMarcus Cousins picked up his fifth foul. So the Pelicans just decided that it was more important to have Davis on the court playing through an injury compared to having DeMarcus Cousins on the court with five fouls because the risk of fouling out is worse than the risk of losing one of your, probably your best player to a serious injury. So the Pelicans just, they're, uh, th- those were really weird incentives for them to have. But yeah, so Davis continued to play in the game after getting hurt. But then they finally took him out with about three minutes left when Boogie, when they deemed that five fouls was okay to bring him back in with. So then the Cousins finished off the game and Davis sat on the bench. He w- it was clearly bothering him, but I just I don't know how extreme it was. It was it was mild enough for him to stay in the game, but he probably wouldn't have if Cousins wasn't in foul trouble. Yeah. So Alvin Gentry makes my rankings of dunderhead coaches. 
So one of the things that he does, and it happened tonight, is he leaves Anthony Davis in games forever. So people say, like, why is Anthony Davis injury-prone? Why does he get hurt so much? And there's definitely some of it is just he's more prone to injuries than other players. The other thing also is that last year he played 75 games. He played over 36 minutes per game, and that was with him leaving about 15 or so games early last season. So when he was healthy, he was playing upwards of 40 minutes per game when he didn't have to come out due to injury. And that is way too much for pretty much any player. And then also when you consider that a lot of those games were blowouts and Gentry will just leave Davis in like to play like, oh, we're winning by 30. So Anthony Davis plays 43 minutes tonight. That contributes to injury more than anything else. It was a little ridiculous for Davis to be less than 100% just coming off a groin injury. They're playing a back-to-back. They play again tomorrow. He played Davis 41 minutes tonight. So I'm going to say this, though. Anthony Davis at 10,000 tomorrow, really strong GPP play if he plays. Way too risky for cash games. That's always the case with Davis. But at 10000 I think that he has probably more upside for his price than any of the other expensive guys on the slate. Would you agree with that? I'm not sure because DeMarcus Cousins is priced down a bit too. Davis is a little cheaper than he's been, but Cousins is also a little cheaper than he's been. Cousins is still more expensive, but I think if we go into the game knowing that Davis is dealing with the injury but is still going to play through it, then we can sort of assume that Davis will play fewer minutes than usual. Maybe his usage will be lower than usual. I definitely think Cousins is way safer, and I guess that's always true. But I think we can also just assume that Cousins is going to play more minutes. So if Davis ends up sitting, Boogie's going to be one of the highest owned, if not the highest owned player on the slate. But if they're both starting and Davis is just kind of limited, then you might be able to get Cousins in sort of a sneaky spot where he ends up being the ball-dominant player without Davis doing as much as usual, but most people don't realize it. Um, can Do you think you can trust Alvin Gentry to limit Davis's minutes, or he might just play him 40 minutes again even though he's dealing with a scoring injury? There were his games last year where he said that he was going to limit the playing time of Davis because he wasn't 100%. And they would legitimately be losing or winning those games by 20 to 30 points, and Davis would play like 44 minutes. So, no. <laughs> well, on Friday night, uh, Gentry said that Davis would play about 25 minutes. He ended up playing 31. That's not that extreme, but I think it just it fits with the trend of Gentry just doing whatever, I don't know, whatever he feels like in the flow of the game and just disregarding whatever he said before it started. Yeah, and then I think uh, one other player that I think makes some sense from the Rockets out of the game. Like, obviously, Chris Paul and James Harden are in play also. Uh, but Clint Capella at 6,500, his minutes have been down a bit recently. But I would expect in this matchup that they're going to have to play him upwards of 30 minutes to match up with Davis and Cousins. So the last few games, let's see. Against Utah, he only played 17 minutes, but five fouls, he was in foul trouble. Against the Lakers, 23 minutes, but they won that game by... Uh, 23 points. It was a blowout. Then against Portland, he only played 22 minutes, but Portland's playing small ball lineups. So I think that people are going to look at the recent minutes for Capella and just say, oh, Capella's only playing like 20 to 25 minutes a game right now, so he can't roster him. I think that it's more circumstance that led to him playing less minutes in those games, and he should get a lot more playing time in this game. Do you think that makes sense? Yeah, I agree with that. And then on the other side of it, if Davis ends up sitting, I think the Pelicans go small ball to match up with how the Rockets normally play. So that probably means more minutes and more usage for each one more, maybe uh, increased usage for Drew Holiday and maybe a couple extra minutes there, maybe Darius Miller and then... I don't know, Rajon Rondo at 5800 I think that's kind of just a fair price. So it, it would be those other wings and guards, I think, that would make more sense. 
if Davis is out, I think they benefit more there. And Rondo is kind of just the same. I don't think he would see a minutes increase because Davis isn't playing. So we'll we'll have to see what happens with Anthony Davis because, yeah, if he's in, I do agree with you on that Clint Capella point. But I think both teams will play a lot of small balls. So if Davis is out, I think Capella is a lot less usable. And then uh, something else to add about the Rajon Rondo point, he's been really chalky recently in games that Anthony Davis has been out. And I would assume Rondo to be fairly highly owned again if Davis was out. He's going to be guarded by Chris Paul in all likelihood. Chris Paul, one of the best point guard defenders in the league. I think that would be a pretty strong fate. I would probably stay away from Rondo being guarded by Chris Paul. Yeah, and I think the ownership's going to be high regardless because Rondo had a really strong game Sunday night, and he was fairly chalky for the three-game slate. I think he was in the mid-20s in ownership percentage. Rondo had 13 points and 18 assists for 55 DraftKings points, and Drew Holiday had 54 points also. I think both those guys are going to be pretty chalky, even if Davis is playing, so... Rondo is the easier fade, but I think it sort of makes sense to fade both of them and just kind of lean on Cousins and then maybe even each one more, Darius Miller. All right, so next game, we have the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls. Certainly some blowout risk here. Obviously, Celtics, best defensive team in the league. They've been really good overall, so tough matchup for the Bulls. And then some injury news from the Celtics. Al Horford is questionable with a sore knee. If he isn't able to play, Aaron Baines, who's kind of been starting most of the games anyway, but uh, hasn't played a ton of minutes just because they still use Horford at the center a lot. But I think we would see a much more secure minutes from Aaron Baines. We could see him playing. What's, what's the most minutes Aaron Baines has played this year? He played 28. Oh, he actually played 28 last game. We see him get into the mid-20s a few other games. So I think if Horford's out, we probably see 24 to 28 minutes from Baines at 3,700. Really strong value play. Uh, let's see, anybody else from the... I don't really think there's anybody else from the Celtics that makes for a strong play. Daniel Tice is okay, except... Yeah, I mean, in terms of he would get extra minutes, except priced up to 3,800. I'd prefer to uh, pay down for Baines if Horford's out. Baines, who I think would probably see more minutes. And then from the... Chicago side of the game, Laurie Markkinen's priced all the way down to 5,200. I think that's okay for him. And then Chris Dunn at 6,100. Chris Dunn was somebody who I just thought totally sucked last year. I thought that he was just a total non-NBA player. He's looked pretty good recently, and I'm fine with using him at 6,100, even in a tough matchup just because it's a short slate. Yeah, I think Chris Dunn's a strong value play regardless of Al Horford's status, but I do think it's a big boost for Laurie Markkinen and just the Bulls as a whole if, they don't, if the Celtics don't have Horford's defense in there. So that's definitely something to monitor because the blowout risk becomes a lot less if there's no Al Horford. The Celtics are only seven and a half point favorites right now. And I would guess that line is probably in the five or six range if Horford's not playing. So it really isn't that likely of a blowout. If Horford plays, maybe the line is eight or nine. So more likely that the game isn't close at the end, but still nothing crazy. So I'm comfortable with Chris Dunn. I'm comfortable with Markinen, but I think Markinen becomes a really strong play if Horford's out. And then Aaron Baines is safe either way. He's been starting or playing more minutes since Marcus Morris got hurt. So even if Horford's in there, Baines is still playing 25 to 30 minutes. Um, He's probably usable regardless, but he probably is one of the better value plays on the slate if Al Horford's not playing. Yeah, and then just one final point on Chris Dunn before we move on. Just kind of show the kind of ceiling and floor he's had recently. And why I just think 6100 is too cheap a price for him. 
Uh, last handful of games, 51 fantasy points, 35, 26, 32, 37, 53, 44. So that's a really high combination of ceiling and floor for Chris Dunn at only 6,100, even at a tough matchup. So next game on the slate is the Charlotte Hornets at the Oklahoma City Thunder. And big injury news here is going to be not Frank Kaminsky questionable, but Paul George questionable. He's missed the last couple games with a calf injury. If Paul George doesn't play, then it's just a massive amount of usage for Russell Westbrook, and he becomes my favorite guy on the slate to pay up for at 11000 And from the Charlotte side of the game, we have so many guys questionable. Frank Kaminsky's questionable. Jeremy Lamb's questionable. Nick Batum's questionable. Dwight Howard is probably going to have to play a lot of minutes. He's been a much bigger part of the offense since Cody Zeller's been out just because they don't really have another backup center to lean on other than Johnny O'Brien, who isn't particularly good. So it's been a lot of minutes for Howard recently. He's going to play probably like 35 to 40 minutes in this game. And then it's really hard to make a decision on any other Hornets player just because there's so many injuries right now. Yeah, there's there's, uh, four relevant players that are questionable, so... It's just we'll have to monitor it, see how many are out, and then some sort of strange names, I guess, could become usable. Uh, One other injury on the Thunder side, though. Andre Robertson is also questionable. So that should be able to open up more minutes. I mean, if George and Robertson are out, then I guess Alex Abrinas or maybe Jeremy Grant, guys like that end up playing more minutes. Um, What has Carmelo's usage looked like in games without Paul George? I mean, I know it's up and he just kind of hasn't played that well. But do you think he's viable, or is it... Well, it's also a tough matchup for him because he's more than likely going to be guarded by Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. So would you use Melo if George is out, or is he kind of just overpriced and just not that good? So his price is at... I just closed the page. Can you tell me his 6700 for Melo. Yeah, so I, I, I think that he's usable at that price. I, he's been so terrible recently, and... Uh, even in an interview recently, Melo said that he feels that this has been his worst season. He feels this has been his toughest season. I think he's just a little bit over the hill at this point. With that said, with Paul George off the court this year, 33% usage rating, and that is equal to him scoring 43 DraftKings points per 36 minutes. So, yeah, he's only shooting... What's his field goal? He's only shooting 40% with Paul George off the field this year. He hasn't been efficient in general this season. But that, that's a lot of shots at that price. So yeah, I'll say that he's in play, and I, I wouldn't feel great about it, except there would be definite value in his price tag if Paul George is out again. Well, I think on this six-game slate, we do have to value ownership to some degree, and I would think George not playing makes Melo just a very obvious pick for most people. But the matchup against MKG, I think, might just be reason enough to avoid Melo, even if he was playing better recently. So I, I agree with you on Westbrook. I think he's the obvious guy to pay up for if George isn't playing, but I sort of think it's okay to fade Melo anyway, because even though the Hornets haven't been one of the better teams against small forwards this year, King Gilchrist missed some games early. He was limited for a while, but we know he's one of the better wing defenders in the NBA and he would probably be guarding Carmelo. So I, I think I would probably just fade him anyway, no matter what the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what other kind of value opens up. Like, if Paul George is the only guy of all these people out on the slate, then I would say that it just makes sense to play Melo because he is a value play when there isn't other value plays. But that's probably not going to be the case. Kind of similar we said with Jermichael Green. Like, hey, this guy makes sense if there's other players who aren't out. But there's probably going to be other players who are out. And 
then it also might not matter if Paul George plays. So next game to talk about is the Toronto Raptors at the LA Clippers. This is another game that I don't really think is a particularly interesting fantasy target. Uh, let's see. If I had to pay up for Lowry or DeRozan, I'd probably be DeRozan in this matchup. Lowry's been playing a little bit better recently, but the Clippers have been weaker against shooting guards and they've been against point guards this year. And then from the Clippers side of the game, Teodosic is questionable. I'm not really sure how big his role would be his first game coming back from the uh, planner injury. The one guy who I do think there's value in his price tag, Danilo Gallinari, priced all the way down to 5,300 on DraftKings. His usage rating the last couple games, 32% and 26%. He's just going to have a big role in the offense with Blake Griffin out. So too cheap for Gallinari, a lot of floor and a lot of upside at that price. Yeah, Gallinari is my favorite player from this game too, and I also don't really have any interest in the Raptors side. But also from the Clippers, DeAndre Jordan has that increased rebound rate without Blake Griffin playing. So even in a matchup that's normally tough for big men to score because the Raptors' front court is good defensively, DeAndre Jordan isn't really reliant on scoring at all for his fantasy production. He gets it from rebounds mostly, some blocks, he scores a little. So I don't think he's really affected by the matchup, and I think he's just kind of underpriced ever since Blake got hurt. So I would use him, but again, I mean, we'll see what kind of value opens up. It might be a little bit of a reach, but he's, uh, of any player after Gallinari to use from this game, I think Jordan would be the next choice. No, that's fair. And his rebound number since Blake has gone down, 16, 17, 12, 21, 17. That's a lot of rebounds. And I think he's scored at least 30 fantasy points in all those games. So if nothing else, a really high floor for him at 7,300. The scoring upside is capped a little bit, except he's going to pull down a lot of rebounds. So the last game on the slate is the Portland Trailblazers at the Golden State Warriors. Really the big question here is how competitive is this game going to be? Because if this game stays close, it figures to be a game that's going to have at least some players in a GPP winning lineup. It's going to be a really up-tempo game. Not only do the Warriors play at a fast pace, but the Portland Trailblazers, Nurkic is out again. So that just means more small ball lineups for them, more tempo to the game. So Kevin Durant, 10900 I still think there's some value in his price tag with Curry out. Uh, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson are in play. I don't really think there's any other Warriors player with roster. This is a very stackable game. Uh, from the Portland side of the game, Al Farouk Aminu played, let's see, how many minutes did he play the last couple of games? Uh, Nurkic out uh, 36 minutes in the game that Nurkic left early, then 32 minutes the next game against the Rockets. He's going to play somewhere like 32 to 36 minutes. Aminu at 4,600, that's way too cheap for him. If I remember correctly last year, he had a stretch where he played really well and got priced up to around 6000 or so. So considering he's that kind of upside, 4600 in an up-tempo game, way too cheap for him. Uh, Damian Lillard is my preferred option. Oh, actually, McCollum at 6800 that's pretty cheap for him also. So I'll say, usually I pick between Lillard and McCollum. I think both of them are in play in this matchup. So on the pace aspect of this game... Yes, it's a much higher tempo game because of Nurkic being out, but it's also a much lower tempo game because of Curry being out. And I think Curry actually might be the most important player in the NBA in terms of total points in a game when he's on the court versus when he's not on the court. Nurkic is important too, and usually you're thinking about big men who when they're not there, teams have to play more small ball. But the Warriors over-unders in their games are usually 8 to 10 points lower when Curry doesn't play. The last two Warriors games where he was out have had a total of 188 and 200. Uh, not the betting total, but the actual total points scored. 
And they did seem like slower games, kind of just anecdotally, because we don't have a lot of data on Curry being out this year. But it does seem like in the games where he doesn't play, the games slow down a lot. So I think that that at least counteracts the Nurkic effect of him being out, and it might even be more significant. But having said that, I still agree with you on Aminu. I think I like Durant and Thompson. Durant is definitely a safe play because of the increased usage. But I don't have a ton of interest in stacking the game because I think it'll be really popular. So I would target these guys for cash for sure, especially Durant. But I feel like it would be better to be underweight on this game because it's going to be popular. And I think people just aren't aware enough of the effect that Curry has and how slow the games can become when Sean Livingston is playing point guard instead. So here's the point where I disagree because not only does Portland play a faster pace without Nurkic, except they have been a top five defense by defensive efficiency this year. Whereas last year without Nurkic, they were in uh, so they finished the season 21, but they were better after acquiring Nurkic. I think I remember them being a bottom five or so defense by defensive efficiency without Nurkic. So that's a huge drop-off in defense. With Nurkic, they're one of the best defensive teams in the league, and without him, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. So when you consider that factor with the increased pace, that's why I think that it makes this game a little bit more stackable. Well, I agree with that, and I think that's a good point in favor of Durant and Thompson. But it's not really a boost at all to Lillard and McCollum. The Blazers playing worse defense doesn't help their guards score more fantasy points. I'm much more inclined to use Clay Thompson than C.J. McCollum, I think, because there is some blowout risk. And the point on Clay Thompson with the way that the Warriors set up the rotation, Thompson, even when Curry doesn't play, is the guy who's in dominating the ball at the beginning stages of the fourth quarter. So if it's a blowout for the Warriors, Thompson will still play most of his normal minutes. I think he then is my favorite player from the Warriors, Aminu, just because he's getting an increased role with Nurkic out. But I don't really see it in terms of Lillard and McCollum because the game is going to be slower and the Blazers playing worse defense doesn't lead to extra made shots for their guards. And also there's a better chance that they get blown out and those guys just aren't in at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, they still do play at a faster pace without Nurkic. And then just from Lillard's side also, it is an easier matchup for him individually going up against guys like Quinn Cook and Sean Livingston than it is him being defended by Steph Curry. He was a much better defender than people generally tend to think of him. So those are my final thoughts on this game. Oh, actually, one more thing. Uh, Mo Harkless is questionable if he's out. Evan Turner is a really strong guy. He played 3,800 and would actually be my one of my favorite value plays on the slate, and I forgot to bring that up. Yeah, uh, yes, I agree with that value play also, and... Yeah, I, I don't want this to be construed as I'm avoiding the game, but I just don't feel that strongly about Lillard and McCollum. Yeah, Lillard is going to face weaker defense, but McCollum I just I don't feel as strongly about, and I don't really feel strongly about stacking the game. But if all the players are value plays, if Harkless is out and then there's a few value plays from the Portland side and then the Warriors already have a couple value plays, I guess it all just kind of fits together. But it's not a game that I'm going into the slate trying to purposefully stack, I think it could just end up playing out that way if there are several value plays there. All right, so that is going to finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GEarenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with another podcast tomorrow.